Welcome to Full Scope, a weekly medical podcast designed to teach, inspire, and encourage listeners to question everything they know. I'm your host, Bill Brandenburg. Today we're going to talk about an occupational medicine topic. Something fundamental to keeping workers safe. And that is a group of lung diseases called the pneumoconiosis. Pneumoconiosis is a fibrotic interstitial lung disease caused by the inhalation of inorganic mineral dust. These dusts are everywhere, people. Now, this is a subject that always confused me in medical school, in residency. Even now, a lot of these different unusual lung diseases can be confusing. They have long names. We don't often know what causes them. We don't have, often have treatments for them that are any good. And when you talk to a pulmonologist on the phone, they just start rattling off potential lists of things that things could be, and it gets very, very confusing. So today, I want to shed some light on one of those diseases, and that is the pneumoconiosis. When you boil it down, there's really three ways that contaminants or bad things can potentially enter our body. The first is the skin, obviously, if we touch something, and I'm going to batch into that like the eyes and mucous membranes and stuff like that. The second is the gastrointestinal tract, so something we eat or ingest. And the third is the lungs. Believe it or not, we are breathing in whatever is in our environment all the time. Whatever fumes, dust, gases, minerals are in the air are going to come into our lungs and potentially then enter our bodies. And so, from an occupational standpoint, the lungs are a very vulnerable part. And because uh, the uptake from the lungs is often so much faster uh, than even the GI tract and, and certainly the skin at times, it can be a, a real easy way to take in a lot of really bad stuff. And so thinking about the lungs is really important in occupational medicine and just life in general. Clean air is just so fundamental to health and we really need to be thinking about that all the time. In the occupational setting, there's many different lung diseases that can cause problems. The most common is probably occupational asthma, and believe it or not, there's hundreds of different compounds in the work setting that can cause asthma. And it's, it's thought that about 10% of adult onset asthma is due to occupational exposures. Some other diseases related to occupational work in the lungs are COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, metal-induced lung injuries like borreliosis in uh, aircraft manufacturers, acute inhalational injuries like if you breathe in something toxic, caustic, or that was burning and it burned your airways or your mouth, bronchiolitis obliterans, which is a uh, bronchiolitis that causes inflammation that eventually blocks off the tubes preventing air from getting in. Hypersensitivity pneumonitis which can be caused by a number of different exposures to organic dust. Uh, things like bird feathers, hot tubs, popcorn, the list goes on and on. Tumor formation and, and, and most scarily cancers of course as well as many many other diseases. And the pneumoconiosis, of course, fits right in as one of the most 
common occupational lung diseases. It's uh, been said in many sources, and I, I will say that there's been a lot of discordance, but approximately 250,000 people die a year from these diseases. So it's not something to brush under the table. It's taken a lot of uh, formerly healthy people out of the job and, and sometimes ended their life very prematurely. So it's something we need to think about. It's something we need to ask about. And I'm not just talking about occupational doctors. I'm talking about you, doctor. Breathe, my friends. So what causes pneumoconiosis. Well, there's several different, as we said, inorganic mineral dusts that are the culprits. Inorganic, of course, means that it is not organic. For those that have taken organic chemistry know that those are, are molecules based on carbon and hydrogen. And they're minerals. So they're, they're things that we usually find on the earth, they're dust, rocks, things like that, things we would mine. And so they're, they're really just everywhere. And the biggest three things that cause it are crystallized silica, asbestos fibers, and coal. But there's a number of other compounds that can cause it, sorry, minerals that can cause it as well, including graphite, kaolin, diatomaceous earth, which I sometimes use for insects in my greenhouse, aluminum oxide, nylon flock, which is little pieces of uh, nylon that get aerosolized, talc, and mica. We're definitely going to talk more about the three most common, uh, silica, asbestos, and coal, but I want to get into some of the fundamentals of the disease just so people get a little better of an understanding. And first, I want to talk about particle size. Now, you don't need to necessarily worry. If you go to the beach, you're going to be around a ton of silica. But those particles are much too large to cause problems. You are really worried about much, much smaller particles that can be easy, more easily aerosolized and breathed in. And so as it goes, particles that are bigger than five microns. And remember, a micron is one millionth of a meter, so very, very small. Basically, don't go very deep into your airways when you breathe them in. They get lodged in the top part of your airway, and your mucociliary elevator, uh, which are these little hairs that beat, then kind of uh, beat and move the particles back up and out and then you eventually they go all the way to your mouth and then you swallow them. Particles that are less than 0.5 microns in size are just too small to even stick. You literally breathe them in, they go all the way down to the alveoli, the, the finite uh, sac of the lungs, and then you just generally breathe them back out. They're basically almost behave like a gas. They're too small. So that leaves you with these particles of sizes 0.5 to 5 microns that tend to penetrate fairly deep into the lungs. They tend to stick and then they're too low to oftentimes get removed completely. Now granted, a lot of them do get removed. 
these cilia that beat are really good and they're constantly just moving fluid from the bottom of your lungs up to the top kind of cleaning things out you think of them like a like a constant maid service that's keeping those lungs clean but those particles that are in that range basically one to five microns get stuck in the lower part of the lungs what happens next is macrophages remember the immune cell uh, the white blood cell that tends to phagocytose things it's kinda like your hungry hungry hippos all over your body if something's bad there it's gonna try to swallow it and get rid of it your macrophages then swallow the particles and it can cause this inflammatory cascade that can lead to fibrosis and other problems which given enough exposure and enough time can eventually lead to a fibrotic interstitial lung disease and that's kind of how these pneumoconioses occur basically over usually years um, sometimes months at the shorts but usually years workers are inhaling these particles over time they're getting buildup they're getting inflammatory reactions fibrosis and then finally they become uh, visible on a chest x-ray and the diagnosis is made and at that point um, you know some of the damage has, has already been done the pneumoconioses can affect any worker that is not properly protected period but one of the worst things you can do as somebody who works with these um, potential ha potential hazards is smoking tobacco as many of us know when you use and smoke tobacco it actually paralyzes those cilia muscles those tiny hairs that beat and and move fluids and, and crud out of our lungs and when you paralyze that system there's no way to remove those mineral particles well and so they get stuck down there they don't get removed and they're able to cause a lot of problems and it's pretty crazy but in in for say for instance asbestos workers I think it's something like people who work with asbestos have a ten times higher likelihood of developing lung cancer but if those same workers smoke tobacco their incidence of lung cancer goes up 50 times and I think smoking alone raises it um, you know 20 times or something above above normal people limit so it's really an additive effect of doing both and very very uh, important to discourage workers that work in any industry to stop stop smoking uh, it's just not something that should be mixed with say asbestos work coal mine work um, work with crystallized silicone particles we've learned known about the pneumoconioses for a pretty long time actually and not surprisingly we learned the hard way I mean workers in the coal mining industry that were working with uh, silicone crystals and asbestos started developing these horrible lung diseases and, and pneumoconioses is actually just one of many things um, that can be developed as a result of these dusts but it's been our, on our radar for a long time and we've done a lot to try and help with the problem. In 1950, an organization which is part of the United Nations, the International Labor Organization, uh, developed a set of criteria for categorizing lung, or sorry, chest x-rays for pneumoconioses. 
and it consists of a very um, kind of stepwise approach where you look at small opacities which are uh, perhaps uh, one of the fundamental findings in pneumoconioses. Um, you look at large opacities which can develop later in disease. Look at things like pleural plaques, pleural thickening, uh, calcium deposits, other abnormalities, and you fill out this sheet. And there's actually, like in the United States, the um, National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health has a program called the B-Reader program where you can actually take a test and demonstrate competency in reading these um, radiographs and then participate in surveillance of workers and then also in research and other things. So there's definitely a really regiment way to read chest x-rays. Um, I think the reason that the International Lung Organization uses chest x-rays still is because they're just so much more available worldwide. We do know that CTs are, are better at, they're more sensitive at finding changes of, of pneumoconioses, but they're not very widely available and they expose people to radiation and I, I think most importantly it is cost. They cost more. And so in general we're using chest x-rays to surveil workers and we're jumping to CT scans when we start to see evidence to, to really characterize the disease and get down to it. But people should be aware of, of that um, classification system through the International Labor Organization, which is just meant to bring some standardization to the reading of chest x-rays. Over the years, there's been a number of different regulatory attempts to protect workers in the United States from pneumoconiosis. In 1970, the Clean Air Act designated asbestos as a hazardous uh, substance in the United States, which could then be regulated by the EPA. And since then, we've seen a lot of uh, regulations regarding things like exposure monitoring, hazard awareness, the use of personal protective equipment, and then periodic uh, medical surveillance. As far as things like coal, in 1969, we had the Federal Coal Mine and Safety Act, which mandated health surveillance exams, a questionnaire, PFTs, or pulmonary function tests, and periodic chest x-rays. Uh, more regulations were added in 2014, which made it so we didn't just have to keep an eye on coal workers that were working underground in the mines, but also surface level miners. And so there's been a lot of, a, a lot of effort uh, from a regulatory standpoint to keep workers safer, particularly industrialized nations. In fact, there's over 50 nations that have outright banned asbestos entirely, but the United States has not been able to do that. Um, uh, believe it or not, asbestos is actually a, a really uh, great material. It's just got this awful side effect of causing horrible health health problems and people that are exposed to it in the, the dust or aerosolized form. But in spite of aggressive regulations in many different countries, the pneumoconioses are still on the rise worldwide, and in particular in developing countries. You can imagine in, in developing countries without regulations, they're just sending into people into mines and things with absolutely no protection, so still a big issue in those areas. And Honestly, even in the United States, even though we're, we're way down from our peak levels, some of the diseases have actually been on the rise since 1990. So it's something that we don't want to sweep under the rug. We haven't solved the problem. We need to keep watching, surveilling, or this thing's going to creep back in and be, become a problem. Pew! All right, let's talk a little bit about diagnosis. 
What are people actually going to come in complaining of if they have this disease? Well, it's pretty simple. It's a dry cough and a progressive shortness of breath. Often it comes on somewhat insidiously and kind of gets just worse and worse slowly over time. The best diagnostic tool that we have, as always, is the history and physical. It's the cheapest and best, people, and it's honestly, it's the one we skip the most. So stop skipping it, ask the questions, take the time. I realize that's impossible in insurance-based medicine these days, but hopefully someday we'll have a system that allows us to actually care for people. But you basically want to know, what have you been doing? Where do you work? What have you been exposed to? And more specifically, you want to know the company the person was working on, what their job was, what type of hazards they were exposed to, what their past job was, what hazard they were exposed to, and then for how many total years they were exposed to each individual hazard. Because you need a few things to make these diagnoses. You need, you need them to have actually been exposed to the hazard, you need the time frame to work, so it, it, it has to have been for somewhat of a prolonged period of time for a lot of these diseases. And then they have to have developed the correct symptoms, and there can't be other reasons for why it occurred. So that's kind of the diagnostic schema. Now, usually you're going to be checking pulmonary function tests on people that you're worried about. And what you'll see is sometimes a normal pulmonary function test. Or later in the disease, you're certainly going to see some restriction. So people are going to have reduced lung volumes throughout, and their FEV1 to FVC ratio is going to be normal to elevated. They also will very likely have later in the disease uh, decreased um, diffusion capacity. Like we said earlier, radiology is really the cornerstone of diagnosis. It has these uh, sometimes uh, very characteristic findings, and it's, it's really the way that we do surveillance on workers. And so getting periodic chest x-rays on people that are exposed to these uh, mineral dusts is very, very important. And if you see something that looks abnormal, jumping to a C CT scan is very important because that may pick up things that just weren't seen on the chest x-ray. All right, let's talk a little bit about treatment. And I'm sorry, guys, but of course the treatments absolutely suck. Basically, if someone develops severe disease and needs oxygen, you should give them oxygen. If they're having symptoms and want their symptoms to improve, you should recommend physical therapy and exercise to just improve their overall functional status. If they're unhealthy, of course, just lifestyle changes are going to make them feel better, even in spite of a fibrotic lung disease. And then finally, there's things like lung transplant really, really late down the line. Um, but that, of course, is a whole bag of problems as well. So that really leaves us with prevention. And prevention is just absolutely key in the pneumoconioses because, uh, one, we're talking about workers that are just trying to make a living and are not doing anything bad or wrong and, and don't deserve this bad disease and two because we can't treat it at all so we really are just left with prevention and prevention really is made up of five different main parts the the first part of prevention is if you don't have to use the harmful substance or there's a safer replacement use that instead 
then workers never need to be around the harmful substance in the first place. The next big thing to think about is environmental and engineering controls to minimize worker exposure while on the job. So things like organizing the job site so you have as few workers by the most harmful areas as possible, using exhaust systems to get rid of as much harmful dust as you can, wetting areas to absorb the dust so that it's not actually aerosolized, among another, a bunch of other things. Uh, the, the next part is really surveillance or monitoring of the actual air. And knowing how much dust is in the air is really important because that helps uh, with the selection of personal protective equipment. Which leads us to the next thing, and that's actually the proper selection of personal protective equipment. Training workers to use the PPE correctly, testing things like respirators to make sure they fit appropriately with a fit test, and then after PPE is properly used while, while working, using proper decontamination procedures to get the dust and, and things off of clothing so that workers aren't bringing it with them outside of the job site. There's been a, several cases of workers who have had it on their skin, their clothes, and then actually uh, exposed their children and their, their family members to it, which is, is even worse than, than themselves, to me at least. So. I think the decontamination should not be forgotten and is very, very important overall. And the final piece of prevention is medical surveillance. Prevention is key if we take a look at chest x-rays every year, ask people about symptoms. We can often catch these diseases before they become a big problem, remove workers from the harmful exposures, and prevent a catastrophe. So medical surveillance is really important as well. And at this time, I'll go ahead and disclose that as a conflict of interest because I am a doctor, I do medical exams on people, and obviously if I'm recommending that people need medical surveillance, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of pitching for something I make money on, and that should be touted as a conflict. Personal protective equipment is so important, and from, from this standpoint, really, uh, respirators. So you want to protect your lungs from breathing this stuff in and then the best way to do that is with a barrier and so there's different types of respirators i want to go over some real quick just because they're interesting and i know with covid people are probably even more interested but they really break down into two main categories there's air purifying respirators and then supplied air respirators in an air purifying respirator you're using a filter to remove the harmful particles or substances from the air itself. In a supplied air respirator, you're getting clean air from somewhere else, either a tube uh, from outside the work area or an actual tank that you're carrying on your back. And so those are the two main categories of respirators. And you can further break those down into more categories. There's half-face respirators and there's full face respirators and really the important thing about a respirator is that it gives the protection you need so every respirator has what's called the protection factor and that is defined as the um, the concentration of material outside the respirator divided by concentration inside the respirator where the patient's face is and where they're breathing and so that needs to be looked at very closely along with the amount of exposure that's in the air so that you pick the right respirator for the job 
typically in asbestos work, people are going to be using a P100 respirator. And so everybody on here has probably heard of an N95 respirator. And really there's, uh, to break down the air purifying respirators um, from a very basic standpoint, there's N respirators like the N95, R respirators, and P respirators. And that has to do with their resistance to oil and, and oil solvents and stuff. And so an N respirator has no resistance. If you get oil on that thing, it's not going to work anymore. An R respirator is resistant, but it's not the highest grade. So typically it's recommended for just one one day on the work site. And then a P respirator is the highest grade and can be used for multiple days on, on, on the job site where there could be oils or something that could touch touch the respirator. And then the next part of the equation is the particle is is the um how much particles it uh, prevents from entering. So an N95 prevents 95% of particles from entering. An N99 uh, provides 99% of filtering of particles. And then a 100 mass, so a P100, N100, prevents 99.95 or something. So, so nearly all particles from entering. And that's at a 3 micron size, so right at the bad size that we don't want things coming in. And so that's just a little breakdown of respirators. On top of, of respirators, people are going to often be wearing uh, suits or special clothing. Really the issue is that these dusts can stick to clothing and then people have certainly brought them home, gotten their kids and their spouses exposed to this bad stuff. So you need some kind of program where the clothes are coming off or being cleaned every day at the job site. The patient is being showered so that they're not coming home with dust particles on them that could then potentially hurt or affect their family. Okay, that's an introduction to the pneumoconiosis. Remember, these are uh, progressive fibrotic interstitial lung diseases caused by the inhalation of inorganic dust. Most cases are due to occupational exposures. These uh, are a very big issue throughout the world, and, and in fact, they're getting worse now in, in developing nations. So it's going to be a, a problem on a global level. But even in the United States, we're seeing upticks since 1990. So we, we really need to keep an eye on our workers as well. Um, there's well-established systems for reading chest x-rays in a very standardized way from the International Labor Organization. And there is a certification program called the B-Reader Certification where you can actually get... Um, you know, kind of a certification to uh, show that you're you're competent and good at that. There's lots of different causes of it. The most common are coal, asbestos, and the most common, of course, being um, silica, which makes up like 60% of our Earth's crust, so absolutely everywhere. And you got to prevent them. Treatments are just not good, and so prevention is absolutely key. The best way to make a diagnosis is with a history, physical, and a chest x-ray. And somebody who has the right exposure over the right amount of time and the right findings on lung imaging is enough to make the diagnosis. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that. I'm going to call that part one because in part two I want to pick it back up and I want to go over the three most common causes of pneumoconiosis, and those are silicosis,
asbestosis, and coal workers' pneumoconiosis. See you soon, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Full Scope Podcast. You can find a lecture summary, key points, and any references on our website, fullscope.org. Additionally, this is the official podcast of Wonder Medicine PLLC, a for-profit medical clinic located in Boise, Idaho. As Carly and I own the clinic and draw revenue from it, we thought we should uh, disclose it as a conflict of interest. Disclaimer alert! It's a trap! The Full Scope podcast was designed and created for educational purposes only. It is not intended to diagnose, treat, or provide clinical knowledge specific to the care of any actual patient or population of patients. If you are in need of medical advice or treatment, contact a physician. The views and opinions portrayed on Full Scope are Dr. Brandenburg's. They do not represent the views or opinions of Wander Medicine Clinic, any of the academic institutions mentioned on the Full Scope podcast or website, or any of the hospitals which Dr. Brandenburg has or currently works at.